0: had some conversations uh, with some of you uh, already that have been reading this, and it's not like you haven't read the Bible before, but when we really sit down and look at it as a story, as one continuous story, which, these, which this is, some of you have said, wow, I never knew that was in the Bible, or wow, this is great, this is so good, uh, some one of you said, I should do this more often, and I said... Yeah, I think you should too, right? So uh, I want to encourage you to grab one of these if you haven't already uh, from the back uh, as well. And I, I think as, we'll, as we go through these stories, what we're going to find is that, that more often than not, our stories are not so different from the ones we read in there, yeah? That we, we experience these stories, these joys and sorrows and ups and downs, that's our story, So, this is not some ancient book that just sits on the shelf and collects dust. This is like you and me. We resonate with this, and it hits us in a very deep and personal way. So, I'm excited to dig into that uh, together with you today. But before we get started, I want to start out with a question just to get you thinking. And this may sound silly, but I really want you to pause uh, and ponder it. Are you good at keeping promises? You don't have to raise your hand and say, yes, I'm the most humble person I know. Uh, That's not what we're asking. Uh, Are you a good promise keeper? Are you a person that keeps their word? When you say, this is how I'm going to live or I'm going to do something, do you follow through on it? When you say, yes, I'll call you, do you call people? Are you a person that keeps your promises? On a scale of one to 10, with 10 being I'm a rock star and one being I'm horrible, where would you put yourself? Are you good at keeping your word? We all make promises, we all make commitments, uh, depending on what situation of life you're in, we say things like, okay, honey, I promise you I will be home at 5.30 sharp for dinner. And then what time do we get home? 5.45, 6.15, right? I've never done that, um, never made that promise. Or we say, if you got kids, you say, I promise, next weekend we are going on the camping trip for sure, I promise you. Unless something comes up at work, right? Some of you have been there. Uh, or, or to a friend, we say, you know, we, we, we live in this digital age and you meet somebody and you're like, oh, it was so good to reconnect with you. I promise that I will do a better job of being your friend and keeping in touch. And the next time you talk to him is two years later and they're married and have four kids, right? Ah, maybe I didn't do such a good job of keeping that promise, right? But you know, what, you want to know who the worst group of people at keeping their promises are? I'm one of them. Cubs fans, right? Think about this for a second. Every single year as Cubs fans, we promise this is the year, right? I promise you, this year they're going all the way. We're going all the way to the World Series, right? I promise you. And then we go 20 and 80, right? So we wrestle with that and we joke around about it. And some broken promises are more humorous than others. But God also asks us a very serious question. Are you a man or woman of God that can be trusted? Are you somebody that keeps your word? And that's the question that uh, the young Max is asking in uh, the movie Liar, Liar. Do you remember this movie, Liar, Liar? It came out several years ago. It's a Jim Carrey movie, so it's a little nutty. Uh, some parts I wouldn't recommend, so I'm not fully endorsing it. But it makes a good point. So Max is this young boy, and his dad, played by Jim Carrey, is kind of wrestling with his priorities in life. Is my family, is my son more important, or is my job more important. I know sometimes we've all wrestled with that. And so he is really bad at keeping his promises. He tells his son all the time, I'm going to show up at your baseball game, I'm going to come to your school. And he just breaks promise after promise after promise. And it kind of starts to wear on Max, the son. And it's like the last straw when Max is there at his birthday party. And everybody's there except his dad. So take a look uh, at this clip and then watch the, the scene to follow when Max's wish... Actually comes through. So check it out. Oh my. The world would be a much different place if we all had to tell the truth all the time, right? What if every single time you committed to something, you followed through on it? Every single time you made a promise, you never lied? And we can joke and, and we can laugh at uh, promises, broken promises like that. But it starts to hit us a little bit closer when it gets closer to home. Words like, I promise I'll be a better spouse to you, promise I'll be a better father, promise I'll be a better mom, or we make promises to each other and also to God. We say things like, no God, this is the year, I promise, this is the year I'm going to really get involved with the church. This is the year, I I, I promise, God, I'll get up and I'll read my Bible every day. I mean, we're doing this series as a church, and God, I promise, I commit to this. I'm 110% following you, Jesus. I'm on fire, except I don't like getting up in the morning. And we break promise after promise after promise. Needless to say, when we're honest with ourselves, we all have room to grow in this area. But the good news is, today about this story that we're going to be diving into is that the main plot of this story is not about how good you and I are about keeping our promises, about how good we are, about how we can perform. The plot of this story is about someone, a different character in the story, who always keeps their promises. Now think about that for a second. Contrary to the way our world and our culture, and maybe you and I are at times, and how broken we are, what if I told you that there was somebody that's never lied? What if I told you there's somebody that has never broken a promise, that can always be trusted, that always comes through in the clutch, that will always have your back no matter what, that's never lied? Think about that for a second. Would you want to meet them? Can I get a nod or two? Would you want to meet him? Okay, well, I'll just meet him and we'll go on. So dig into your Bibles. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 3 and we're going to meet that certain someone. We're actually going to pick up the story where we left off last week and we're going to encounter this person that always keeps their promises. Genesis chapter 3 verse 14 or we're going to put both up on the screen. So if you're in the story, it's on page 5 and if you're just in your Bible from home or here in the row, it's Genesis 3 verse 14. If you remember from our story last week, we're, we're picking it up where Adam and Eve are hiding because they're ashamed and they're in sin. And so they're covering themselves and they realize they're naked and they're hiding in guilt and shame because they have been separated from God because of their sin. And when we look at the creation story, you might think, okay, creation and Adam and Eve and the snake and the apple, I get that. But we overlook a very important part. Yes, Adam and Eve are punished, but there's another person in this story, another creature, if you will, that's going to get punished as well. So I'm going to start reading on the bottom of page five in the story. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring, meaning Eve's, your offspring and her's. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Right in the middle of this story about Adam and Eve, about us, we as people who break our promises, God makes a promise, and I don't want you to miss it here. Before we even leave the garden, God is giving you the plot for the rest of the entire story. Genesis is written in as much of the early books of the Old Testament are in more of a poetic language. So it doesn't just come out straight and say, this is Satan, this is Jesus, this is God. It's written more as an, as an oral culture, so it's more poetic and there's more storytelling. And so it's kind of creative in how they're, they're saying this. And so if you look at this, those last two verses, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Yes, it's poetic, but it's also foretelling... The rest of the plot of this story, that there will be a temporary setback. Because if you get like bit by a snake, as long as it's not poisonous, it's just kind of, ow, right? Like you don't want to get bit by a snake. That's a bad thing, right? But how do you know that you can have ultimate victory over a snake? What do you have to do? Those of you that have killed snakes. Maybe not, right? You, I'll give you a hint. You stomp on its head, right? If you crush the head of a snake, there's not much else going on there, right? You have victory, Okay? I know it's kind of a gross, weird thing to think about, but that's in the story. Okay, He will crush your head, meaning he, meaning Eve's offspring, meaning he, born of human descent, will have ultimate victory in the end, even though he will be pricked or poked by evil a few times. Does that plot of a story sound familiar? It should, because it's God's story And it's your story, the story of Jesus Christ coming and crushing the head of the serpent as he dies and rises again, defeating the power of death. And even here in Genesis, God promises us that Jesus Christ will come and have the ultimate victory over sin and death and evil. So we know the end of the story at the beginning of the story, but right here before we even leave the garden, God makes a promise. And this is one you can take to the bank. God says to Adam and Eve, even though there are consequences for your sin, I am committed to you. I am committed to you. And here's something you can bank on. If you look at the storyline of the Bible from the first day of creation to the end of Revelation, if there was a storyline from right here and we follow the Bible all the way through because we learned a couple weeks ago it's one continuous story, at every point along that story, You can take this to the bank. Whenever God makes a promise to his people, it's always pointing in one way or another to a savior. Old Testament, New Testament, doesn't matter what it is. Because we know the end of the story, it gives context to everything else. Even snakes, right, are a part of God's master plan to save us. And God says, I'm committed to rescuing you. I will send a savior that will squash evil under his foot. And that you can be sure of. But the story doesn't end there. This thread of God making promises runs through the entire story from beginning to end. God asks, do you trust me? We're not going to go there today, but right in the middle of our two stories is the story of Noah. And you should know that in that story, right, people sin, there's consequences, God sends a great flood, he rescues Noah, and what does he give to Noah in the end? A rainbow, which is a promise. And what does God say to Noah? I am committed to you. I'm committed to humanity. Never again will I flood the earth. God makes a promise. It points to a savior in the end. And that brings us to our story today. So skip ahead with me to Genesis chapter 12. Here in the story, we're beginning chapter 2. So God says, I am committed to you, I will rescue you in the garden. He says to Noah, I am committed to you, I will rescue you after the flood. And now we get to meet our friend Abraham, or Abram, as we first meet him. So, uh, page 13, uh, if you're in the story Bible, and Genesis chapter 12, uh, verse 1, if you're in the regular Bible. So, we pick it up here. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, to fully understand the seemingly impossible nature of what God just said, which is, you're going to have offspring... You've got to understand at this point in the story, Abraham's probably in his late 70s, early 80s, something like that, okay? When's the last time you heard of an 80 something year old guy having a kid? Probably not, right? And his wife Sarah's just as old, okay? At this point in the story, right? Abraham is in retirement. Abraham is well into retirement. Abraham is playing golf and drinking Arnold Palmer's every day. He is so far into retirement, and he thinks his best days are behind him. And yet that's when God says to him and says, now the adventure's only begun. And for some of you, you might be getting towards that place in life, close to retirement, and you're thinking, oh, my best days are behind me. I'm just going to kind of coast it on in here because God can't really use me. What if God wants the next five years of your life to be the best five years of your life? Abraham's story was just beginning in his late 70s. So never say, God can't use me. And so God says, through you, Abraham, essentially, I will build a nation. Meaning you're not just going to have a little bit of offspring, you're going to have a whole nation of offspring. It's going to be crazy. And and the nation's going to be great, God says, because I will make it great. And through your offspring, Abraham, I will end up blessing, as the scripture says, or redeeming or saving the whole world. Remember the plot of the story? God makes a promise to Adam and Eve. God makes a promise to Noah. God makes a promise to Abraham. And whenever there's a promise, what does it point to? A savior. A savior. Exactly. So, put yourself, Put pause on the story for a second. This is all great. God makes an incredible promise, but let's think about this in human terms for a second. If you're Abraham, and you're, let's say, 80 years old, and God says, you're going to have a son, maybe more humorous, your wife, who is also 80, 85 years old, is going to have a son, what's your reaction? Right. Good one, God, right? You're pulling my leg here. you got to be kidding me. You're going to save the whole world through us? you got to be joking, right? Boy, God, Abraham says, I hope you've got a plan B. And God says, nope. Nope, never really have had any plan Bs. God says, I only have plan A's because I'm plan A. I make the promises and I always keep my promises. God says. So you can take this one to the bank. And God says, just in case you ever doubt it, Abraham, watch what I do next. Because there's one still big issue. How's this baby going to be born? Because Abraham and Sarah are well old. And like grandparent old. Like well past the point of having kids old. And that's where we pick up the story, uh, in the story, on the middle of page 15. Abraham's talking to God. So a while, is, uh, there's been some time between when God makes the promise and when this happens. They still haven't had a kid. okay? So Abraham says, you have given me no children, God, so a servant in my household will become my heir. So Abraham's thinking, i got to do something else, right? God, you're not coming through, so i got to figure something else out. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man, meaning some other guy they're talking about, will not be your heir, That a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. God's just reminding Abraham, I haven't given up. (laughs) I'm still here. I'm still keeping my promise. You don't need to go adopt or anything like that. Sarah's actually going to have the kid, believe it or not. And Abraham is still thinking, I don't know. Can I trust God or not? The same question that God asked Adam and Eve long ago in the garden, do you trust me enough to not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Noah, do you trust me enough to build a giant boat in the midst of a drought? Abraham, do you trust me enough that I will bring you a child? Later on in the story, Abraham says, yes, I do trust you. But at first, no. No. Instead of waiting for God to provide, Abraham gets anxious. And what do we do when God's not providing in our own time? We get anxious. And what do we do? We take matters into our own hands, right? So this is like a bad reality show. Watch what happens, okay? Abraham and Sarah get together and say, oh, you can't get pregnant because you're way too old. So Abraham, why don't you sleep with the servant girl, Hagar, and then that way we'll have a son? And God says, no, 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 no. <laughs> That's not the plan. I promised and I'll deliver. Abraham sleeps with the servant girl. They have a son named Ishmael, but that's not the plan because whenever we take things into our own hands, there's always consequences. And the same is true for you and I, and I'm telling you, I know this really well. A couple years ago, I'm driving in the country and uh, up in uh, northern Iowa, and it's about this time of year, it's in the harvest. And I am getting antsy because I'm cruising at like, I don't know, I'll be honest, 62 miles an hour, it's a 55, right? There's nobody around, nobody around. I'm cruising, I'm I'm watching uh, the, the, the corn go by, it's just a beautiful sunny day like today. There's nobody around and then all of a sudden, what's usually driving out in the country around harvest time? Combines, right? Tractors, combines, and how fast am I going? Ah, eh, 62. How fast are Combine's going? Seven, right? <laughs> 7.2. I'll, I'll be generous, right? Seven miles an hour. They are going a snail's pace. There was an elderly woman on her walker that was moving faster than them on the... No, I'm Jacobian. So slow. And my wife will tell you, I am, one of my things that God's kind of working on me with is road rage. I'm just kind of working on that. And so I, I am looking at this and I'm going, no, like, I'm already late for a meeting and I got to get there. And now I run into not one... Not two, but three combines in a row, okay? So they're taking up like a half mile of the road just by themselves, impossible to pass, right? So as a good and holy and perfect pastor, I, I bless them and I thank God for the harvest and I pray... No, I don't. I have road rage, right? There's honking and screaming and I'm banging on the dash and gripping the steering wheel and I swerve over to see if I can, I swerve back and I swerve over and I swerve back and I'm like, I have to do something. I am late. What do we do when we're antsy? We take matters into our own hands, right? So I'm thinking, okay, if I'm going to get past him, I got to gun it. Okay, so I look for my window of opportunity, and I just gun it. I don't know if my car's ever gone that fast. Again, uh, I won't tell you how fast I was going, but I'm zipping around, because it's a, it's a one-way, you know, it's a two-lane uh, road, so there's oncoming traffic, and I zip around, and I make it, and I'm slowing down, and I'm slowing down, I slow down to about 70, and I'm going around, and what do I hear as soon as I get back in the lane? Sirens. What is a cop doing out in the middle of nowhere, right? Watching the combines with everybody else, right? So I get a ticket and I pay for it because when we try to take matters into our own hands, there's consequences. And we can laugh and we can joke about that from a silly combine perspective, but what, about, what happens when that becomes a matter of things that are really, really important to you? When, just like Abraham and Sarah, God's not providing, God's not bringing me what I want in my time, <laughs> so what am I going to do? And the same is true for us. How often do we get tired of trusting that God's going to provide a spouse for us, that there's really somebody out there for us? And so instead of trusting God's timing, we, we run around all these different people and all these different relationships trying to satisfy that need that God says, no, that's not it. (laughs) Will will you trust me that I have your best intentions in mind? I I, I equate it to kind of going "Mm, mm," and gripping the steering wheel harder and harder. God provide, but he doesn't. Or maybe it's for you. You say, God, I just don't know if you can heal me from the, the pain and the mistakes that I've made in the past or the things that have happened to me, the things that I've done. And so Instead of trusting that you can heal me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drink what I want to drink. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to any substance I want. And I'm going to try to go around looking for all the different pleasure that I can find just to fill that void. But yet, I'm left empty in the end. Or really practically, instead of trusting God's gift of rest and Sabbath... We take things into our own hands and we grip the steering wheel and we say, instead of working 60 hours a week, I'm going to work 70 hours a week. and Then I'll get that promotion. Maybe I can just twist God's arm. We do this as Christians. Maybe if I just pray harder, maybe if I just read my Bible more, then God will listen. But that's not how this story works. Because it's important in moments like this to be reminded, what has God promised us? if it's not our agenda on our time, what, what has God promised us? Is it comfort all the time? No. Is it all pleasure all the time? No, that's not the life he's provided, <laughs> promised either. Is it that we'll get everything we want on our time? I don't see that anywhere in that story, so I don't know why it would be true of ours. But I can tell you without a doubt one thing that God does promise us in every single story of this Bible and in every single day of your life, he is committed to you. He has your best intentions in mind. He created you. He knows you better than you know yourself. And the same thing he asked Adam and Eve, Noah, Abraham, he holds out in front of you today and says, will you trust me? If you need evidence, if you need a track record, God says, if you need a resume, look at the history of humankind. When have I not come through? And when is it not ultimately worked out for your good? That's what God says to you today. And that's what God asks Abraham. Will you trust me provide and thankfully at some point abraham took hold of that promise and against all odds god provided a son get this at the ripe old age of a century mark a hundred right they have isaac and i love this isaac means laughter because it just had to be a hoot right how often do you see in the des moines register hundred year old couple gives birth right they're expecting or whatever they're expecting to be great grandparents or grandparents but not parents and so you have to understand, uh, maybe as, as parents, especially as fathers, you have to understand the joy, the jubilation, the satisfaction, the utter peace that Abraham has to feel. Finally, God heard my prayer. Finally. But yet, we don't hear a lot about those early years of Isaac growing up. We just skip ahead to the test. And that's where we pick up the story. We'll see what happens in Genesis chapter 22. It's on page 19 of the story Bible. Genesis chapter 22, starting in verse 1 or the middle of page 19 in the story Bible. So put yourself in Abraham's shoes. He's finally got what he wanted. And now, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. And let's pause. Um, the story just continues, but what we don't get is, how's Abraham handling this as a father? Those of you that are parents or Grandparents or sons or daughters putting yourself in your parents' shoes, or expecting parents like me. this really hits home today. If you're Abraham, you you're first, you're shocked and you're kind of numb, and then, then I think you move into the angry stage, right? If I'm Abraham, God, this is the son that you provided. God, this is the promise. And I don't see any other way that you're going to make this work. If I kill Isaac, there is no promise kept. If I kill Isaac, this whole thing's not going to happen. And God, you are not going to be able to bless the whole world because of this one little thing. How can you ask me to do this? What kind of a God are you that would ask somebody to do this? Abraham says to God, you you can't possibly know what you're asking. And God says, yes, I do. I'm asking you the same thing I've asked everybody else. Will you trust me? And that's what it comes down to. So for those of you that are parents, especially fathers, walk in Abraham's shoes up the mountain, and we pick up the story in verse 9 or on page twenty. And the story continues. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now just stop for a second. (laughs) Dad, where are we going? Can you imagine the conversation? Dad, what are you doing? Why, Why are you tying me up? Because we're being obedient, Isaac. <laughs> because we're following God. And the story continues. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. (sighs) God comes through. When we thought everything was lost, when the entire plot of the story was going to be ruined, God can be trusted and says Abraham I never intended to hurt your son now I have shown you the lengths that I will go to prove to you I am committed to you and that I will always keep my promises folks we have a God who always shows up and yet I think if we're honest the world that we live in is not so trusting if you look around I think if you talk to most people they're jaded They're cynical. We live in a culture that's very distrusting of of institutions, of of government, of of organizations, of of certain leaders, even churches, right? People are cynical of the church. Because how could a God like that allow these things to happen? Can anyone be trusted? That's a, a question that just permeates our culture and it permeates kids, And to be honest, that's one of the main reasons we're doing this mentoring thing with Hubble. Because for so many of these kids, the stories of their lives are broken promises over and over and over and over again. They've been promised things by adults and role models in their life, and they just haven't come through. And that's not ragging on them, it's saying, we do that sometimes, we are those people that break the promises and yet the most important lesson I think we learned in this whole program last year was that you, the most important thing for you can do for these kids is not to be smart, is not to have a PhD in education, is not to play all the right games and say all the right things and be super cool, although some of you are so cool. And I know it's hard to be so cool like you are, but just contain yourself. The most important thing that we learned for these kids is to show up. And it doesn't take a genius to show up. We're not just talking about mentoring. One of the best ways that we as a church can lead the way in a cynical, distrusting society is model for them the character of the God that we worship who always shows up. By showing up, you are modeling them for them the love of Jesus Christ. And so since the school year started, I know some of you are teachers, I know we have a lot of teachers in our our larger congregation, and I think a lot of times we overlook the importance of the role of teachers, of the role of parents, and mentors, and role models. I want to give you a glimpse into uh, the life of Lindsay, and Lindsay is a uh, teacher in the Bronx, in New York City, and this is a short video about her and the culture and the demographics that she lives in, in terms of the diversity and the... um, The fatherlessness in her school is very, very similar to the school that you're sitting in right now, believe it or not. And so as you watch this, I want you to think about not the Bronx, I want you to think about Des Moines, Iowa, Hubble Elementary, and listen closely, and I want you to think about what are the promises that she is making to her students. Put yourself in their shoes and just listen to God speak to you through this. Let's take a look.
1: When I first moved to New York City, I thought I knew why I was coming here. It was going to be an adventure. I had my own agenda. I had no idea how much I would fall in love with the kids of the city and how much they would teach me about myself and change my life. I treasure my morning commutes on the subway. It's my time. Sometimes it's my only time with God. In those moments, I know his love for me and I know that that's going to carry on throughout my day. And I know it's going to help me to do my job well. A lot of our kids at our school go home to shelters. They go home to homes where they are in charge. They see people get shot in front of their apartment door. Life has not been easy for them or kind to them. Morning! Good morning! Many of my students haven't been loved well. They've been abandoned. They've been promised things that have never come. They've been promised relationships with their fathers or mothers that have never happened. and So they're just worn, they're weathered, and they don't trust love. On the first day of school, the first thing that I tell them is I've been thinking about you all summer. Like, I love you already. You may not believe this, but you can't earn my love. You could make straight A's all year and have perfect behavior all year, or you can get detention three times a week and I'm going to love you the same. And then I spend all year trying to prove it. Growing up, and especially now, even as an adult, I still long for that love and acceptance, and God has shown that to me and given that to me so that I can go and give these kids the same love and acceptance that they have always wanted, too. Over time, I really do believe this classroom becomes a safe haven for them place where they feel accepted and they know they're going to be safe and it's comfortable. I think God loves these kids so much, more than I could ever hope to love them. I think he wants them to rest and to be happy. I think he wants to heal their hearts.
0: as you watch that, you may have noticed the most important thing that Lindsay does every day is show up. (laughs) She's not perfect. She admits she has her faults, but she shows up. And and I don't know if you can see it in those kids' eyes. Uh, We see the same thing in the eyes of the kids here. Uh, They're weathered and they're worn. Uh, But this isn't just about kids, it's about us because I know maybe that there's some of you that are here today that are kind of weathered and worn too. You're tired, you're overwhelmed, you're worried about the future, uh, you're fearful. Maybe some of you are cynical (laughs) or apathetic. And yet I believe the same thing, if you listen closely, the same thing that Lindsay tells her kids on the very first day of school is what God says to you this morning. You can get (laughs) tension or you can get straight A's but I love you already. And I'm going to spend the rest of the year proving it to you so that you know that you know that you know. And your Heavenly Father says the same thing to you today. I don't care what's in your past. I don't care how much you've been in detention spiritually. (laughs) God says, I'm going to pull you out of detention. I'm going to look you in the eyes and say, you can goof around and screw around your entire life, but I'm going to spend the rest of your life trying to prove to you just how much I love you. And I don't care if it takes takes a rainbow with Noah. I don't care if it takes a a ram coming through the thicket. I I don't care what it takes, God says. I'm going to prove to you in my story that I love you that I'm committed to you. And I wouldn't want to end today without bringing you back to Mount Moriah where Abraham stands over his son with the knife. Geographically, do you know where Mount Moriah is? Modern-day Jerusalem. And several thousands years later, another sacrifice took place on a mountaintop in Jerusalem. And again, it was a father with his only son. Sometimes we think, oh God, you couldn't possibly have known what Abraham was feeling. And God says, yes I do. (laughs) And actually I went all the way through with it because he died. And I let him die so that you could be free. And God says, I have given you everything I've given you my life. Now do you think that you can trust me with yours? That's his offer. That's his invitation to you today, that he is a God that keeps his promises. And I really believe today that just as Lindsay said about her kids, I really believe that God wants to heal your heart so that you don't keep spiraling into the same things and running to the same things you always do. I think that God wants you to rest in his love today. And to know that he says to you, I love you already. I love you already. And there's nothing that you could ever do to change that. Amen. Let's stand together.